Good evening and welcome to the evening service stream here at Forsyth Baptist Church. Uh, before I pass it over to Brother Mike for the message, I do just have a few quick announcements that I want to share with you. First, we're uh, still collecting uh, for the various homeless ministries of Athens. So if you have any non-perishable food items, water bottles, toilet paper, any other toiletries like that, uh, please reach out to the church on Facebook at Forest Heights Baptist Church or send us an email to info at fhbcathens.org and we would be thrilled to uh, set up a time that we can come and pick that stuff up and get it to where it needs to go. Uh, we've already had a bunch of donations already and so if you're one of those who has already donated, we thank you very much for your donation. I know that John Williamson, the one who uh, has kind of helped organize all this, is really grateful for each and every one of you. And uh, just from the church, I just want to say thank you again. Uh, if you need any help or assistance during this time, uh, the church is here to help. Uh, if you have any questions or anything that you need help with, you can always reach out to your deacon. Uh, if you're not a member of the church, but you still want some help in some way, you can Either send us a message on Facebook at Forest Heights Baptist Church, or also send us an email to info at fhbcathens.org. Now, uh, before I pass it over to Brother Mike, I do want to just have a quick word of prayer, so if you will, bow with me. Uh, hey, God, I just thank you for this day and this wonderful opportunity that you've given us just to be able to come together as a digital body and still just worship you, God. Um, it's been an incredible experience so far, and I know that uh, even though we are not able to physically gather that your message is still spreading. And that's just truly incredible to see, not just from our church, God, but from churches around the nation and just everywhere, God, just seeing how you're still able to use them. Uh, it's just incredible to see. Um, I pray that you just be with Brother Mike now as he brings the message. Uh, I just pray that you would just use him as a vessel and that you would prepare our hearts for the message that you have for us today. Uh, I pray for each and everybody listening to this, God, if there are any requests that are on their heart, um, I just pray that you would just be with us in a special way. Uh, we love you and we praise you for everything. It's in your sense then that I pray. Amen. Now we're back in our study with Esther. A very beautiful book. A book, though, that peculiar to many because they wonder why it was uh, placed in the canon because there's no mention of God in it. But specifically not mentioning God doesn't mean that God is not throughout it. His fingerprints are throughout the book. And we see this. And we're going to look at some more of his fingerprints during this time. I want you, uh, you to turn to uh, Esther chapter 7 as we look at the time has come. Time that we've been looking for finally has arrived. So in chapter 7 of Esther, we see, now the king and Haman came to drink wine with Esther the queen. And the king said to Esther on the second day also, as they drank, drank their wine at the banquet, what is your petition, Queen Esther? What is your petition? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and grace. And I pray that your grace and its sufficiency will just bless our hearts and our souls during this time and that you will just touch our lives in a very special way as only you can. May you be honored and may you be glorified. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want us to, to remember some things as we come to this point. It's finally time. The time has come. You see, the Jews have been under Persian control. Some have been allowed to go home. Others stayed, and two of the ones that stayed was Mordecai and Esther. Now, they were cousins, and Mordecai kind of took it upon himself to, to raise Esther because uh, her parents had died evidently, and so 
uh, they remained in Persia. We don't know why. We don't know why a lot of them remained, but they did. And the Persian king Ahasuerus, a man who was a man to become very easily angered, who was a man who wanted to be worshipped, who, who was a man who wanted to be looked at upon as powerful, had a banquet, had a get-together, had a, uh, a blowout, if you will. And as he did, he invited his, his wife Vasti over, Queen uh, Vasti, and, and we know what happened. She refused to come, and that embarrassed him. And so he uh, dequeened her, if you will, and got rid of her, you know, uh, sent her out. And so uh, he went out to war, lost a, a battle, and came back. And uh, after, uh, you know, a time, he uh, became, he was very discouraged. I guess he was realizing uh, what he had in that, that woman there, uh, what uh, a wonderful queen she was. And so uh, he had her to come home to, to share with, to uh, to uh, to uh, talk with and and that companionship as as well as the uh, the love uh, aspect of it and and now it was gone oh yeah he had a lot of other women but they were just women in his harem and so these uh, she was the queen so one suggested hey why don't you have a uh, beauty contest all these beautiful young uh, virgins throughout the uh, Persian Empire and uh, choose one for your wife as queen. And that kind of excited him and got, got him uh, uh, where he wasn't as depressed. And he was looking up uh, once again and, uh, and in beginning to enjoy life and uh, tasting the good life. And as he uh, examined all these women, he came to uh, this beautiful young girl, Esther. Not knowing that she was Jew, he chose her. And so... Here she comes, and she becomes queen. And not only that, maybe through her, I, we don't know how, but her cousin Mordecai was put in the, uh, the court of the king. Uh, he was at the gates, but he was still put in the court. And so he was uh, nearby. And uh, we, uh, we also see another character coming on the scene that wanted to make his way up the ladder and, and wanted to, a name for himself, and that was Haman. He thought big... You know uh, about himself, and uh, he wanted to uh, uh, to have a name for himself, and he wanted to have power, and and just like the king, you know, and and so uh, uh, the king made him a prime minister. Uh, but before he made him prime minister, Mordecai, the uh, Jewish cousin of Esther, found out about a plot against the king that uh, where uh, some of his uh, courtsmen were going to uh, plotted to kill him, kill the king. Well, he turned them in and they checked into it and found out that this was a plot. And so they took care of these two men. And, and, uh, but uh, Mordecai was just overlooked. Haman came on the scene and he was promoted to be the prime minister. And so now we see uh, uh, Haman, uh, you know, marching around like a banny rooster and uh, wanting everybody to bow to him. And they did, except Mordecai. Mordecai would not bow to him. And that just, just I mean, it ate him up. He couldn't stand it. And so uh, he, he had all these things going his way except Mordecai. And he did not like to be embarrassed by hearing that one would not uh, bow to him. And so what happens is... Uh, 
he gets mad and uh, the queen and you know uh, Mordecai during this time had told the queen that that um, uh, Haman had uh, come up with a uh, a decree uh, a petition if you will and uh, had gotten the king to uh, to uh, sign it and that was for all the Jews to be killed and so uh, he told Queen Esther, you've got to intercede for the Jews. Well, uh, she just seemed to, to put it off, it looked like, to us anyway. that She had a banquet where she invited Haman and the king over. The king asked her once again. Uh, the first time he asked her was when she approached the king, and she was very fearful about that because you didn't just approach the king without him inviting you. And he accepted her approachment. And so he asked her what was her petition, and she said, well, I've got a banquet I'd like for you and Haman to come to. Well, they came. They had the banquet. But the king asked again, uh, what is this petition that you had? And she did not answer him. So that's two times now. And you say, is she going to ever you know, answer him? Is she going to make an effort to save the Jews, her people? And it doesn't look like it. And so she says, well, you know, I want y'all to come back for next, another banquet. And during that time, uh, Mordecai is identified as a one who had saved the king. And how in the world did he get identified uh, for this? Well, a, uh, the king couldn't sleep that night before the next banquet. And so what did he do? He asked for some read, uh, a servant to get some chronicles out of the library. And the chronicles told of the work that he had done and all the things that he had done. So uh, he picked out one of the volumes, evidently, that the king would like to hear about, and that was what he was doing. And so he started reading. And where did he start reading from? Well, uh, it, the Lord opened it up to the page where um, Mordecai was mentioned. And he said, well, what did I give him? How was he rewarded? And he said he wasn't rewarded. He said, well, we've got to do something about that. Well, uh, Haman was the first one to come through the hallway that, that morning. And he said, uh, whoever comes through first, uh, one of my advisors, bring him in. And let him help me in, in finding out what's the best way to uh, make this thing right. And so he brings in Haman. Haman thinks that the king is talking about him when he's asking these questions about what he should do. And he's talking about a royal um, uh, ride through the town where he's recognized with the royal robe on and all this. And he th he's thinking it's, it's him that King is wanting to uh, recognize in a special way. And then he says, okay, I want you to do this for Mordecai and lead him through the town. Oh, that just ate him alive. Here's a guy that he had built a, a gallows for uh, because... He wanted to get rid of him. He hated Mordecai because Mordecai wouldn't bow to him. And now he's got to uh, lead him through the town as a triumphant leader, uh, a triumphant person, uh, one that's rewarded by the king. And so this really got him good. And no longer had he done that and gotten home than um, servants uh, from the king came and got him and they went into Esther's uh, place in the palace, and there they were going for the banquet. And he said, well, at least the banquet, and maybe later on I can get the king to uh, adhere to me getting rid of Mordecai and, uh, on the gallows. And so 
They go to the banquet. And this is where we come in chapter 7. Now, this is all important because all these things, you'd say, where's God in all of this? I can see why God's not mentioned because God's not even here. I I don't see him at work. I I don't see him doing anything. Why isn't he just coming down upon Haman? And why is it he uh, allowing Esther or or, uh, convicting Esther to to do the right thing and step forward and, and tell the king, you need to get rid of this man. He's evil and all of this. Well, God's fingerprints, like I said earlier, is all through this, and he is at work. It says, Now the king and Haman came to drink wine with Esther the queen, and the king said to Esther on the second day also as they drank their wine at the banquet, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you, and what is your request? Even half the kingdom it shall be done. First of all, when things seem out of control for us, We've got to believe and we've got to acknowledge and we've got to realize that they're never out of control for God. God is sovereign. God is in control. And when the whole world seems to be in a mess and it seems like everything is working maybe against us and things are falling apart in our life or or things falling apart in our country or other countries or whatever, God is in control. And this is so very important. You know, as I said earlier, why hasn't Esther not shared her petition with the king before now? And why has she let Haman come to these banquets even, enjoying the feast and, and, and the time of fellowship? Only just, I mean, all it did was just puff up his pride. Why is she doing this? Why has she not revealed his true nature to the king? Well, better yet, as I mentioned earlier, one might ask, where's God in all this? Doesn't he care? Yes, he does. When things are out of control, he cares. When things seem to be all messed up, he's in control. And so, how many times have we thought we had God figured out? How many times have we uh, thought that we've had them figured out in our theology through our experience or experiences or whatever it might be we've figured them out we know what he is thinking and and uh you know what his will is and and what he should do and what we should do we even tell him what to do in our prayers a lot of times we're creatures of control we're creatures of time, and, and we believe God must work within our time frame according to the way that we pray and what we pray about. We think that He's got to uh, do the works that we assign Him to do a lot of times. And we forget that with God, there is no day. His thoughts are not our thoughts, and His ways are not our ways, Isaiah 55 says. In verses 8 and 9. We seem to forget that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. In Deuteronomy 29. In other words, if we're not careful, we begin to look at life and we continue to look at life through the wrong end of the telescope. I read, and this is not what I came up with, but I read 
that one drop of water contains 1.67 sextillion molecules. Now, all I can tell you is that's a lot of molecules. What was more fascinating even in the, in the article was if you multiply that number by three, you would have the number of atoms in a drop of water. And that number would be this. Now, I'm not going to uh, even attempt to, to say what it is. I, uh, you know, I hope you see it. I mean, it's, it's a big number, isn't it? It's way out there. I'd like to have that much money, however much it is. Well, when you fill up a glass of water to drink, we're filling that, that uh, cup with an abundance of drops. Just think about that. And each will roughly contain that number of atoms. And just think in, in terms of that and the atoms involved in not just water that we drink, but lakes and rivers and oceans. Man, you're talking about way out there. You know, that's when your, your brain just blows all kind of fuses and smoke starts coming up. Now, you say, well, why are you giving me this information? What I said earlier about God's ways are not our ways. We can't put God in a little box and say we've got him figured up. Or in a theology book and say we've got him all figured up. We can't. We can know a lot more about him. But we can't say that we know all about him. You see, God keeps track of every little atom. Can you imagine every little atom, all these atoms? If he ever lost track of one little atom, he would no longer be God. Man, that's awesome. No, that's an awesome God. And if one little atom went astray, creation would come apart at it seems. But God holds it all together. Wow. Now, you know, this is why we shouldn't become so prideful at times thinking that we have all the answers to all the questions pertaining to God. We don't. We can grow and we can have more and more revealed to us, but we'll never know everything about God. He allows us to understand just so much, but more than that, as I said, would cause a short circuit and our brains would probably burn up. But this greatness we recognize about God is just what we need in times like this. In times like Esther, that's what they needed. You see, when to say certain things, what to say, how to say it, how much to say, Life seemed so uncertain and out of control. But it was in control of, uh, by the Creator. And we've got to trust when circumstances seem so uncertain and chaotic that God is still in control. The unfortunate thing about times like this is we often take matters into our own hands, don't we? We seek control of our own circumstances. If we don't take care of 
our relationships, our struggles, our career opportunities, uh, what our health, our finances, whatever, you know, that we made a mess out of, uh, then we, uh, it, you know, we become so fretful and, and, and we begin to become so discouraged and, and, and defeated. And the more we try to work it out and the more we think that we can, the, the worse and deeper we get. The worse off we get and the deeper we get. And we try to force things to happen and, and for things to change. And, and when we do, oftentimes what I said earlier happens. The mess just becomes worse. That is why the Lord says it is impossible to please Him without faith. We need faith. Esther needed faith. Mordecai. The ones who were praying, the Jewish people who were praying, they needed faith to trust God. Even though they may not have seen God at work right away, they needed faith to trust God. Trusting is not always easy. It involves trusting Him when you cannot understand what's happening around you. Much less see the connecting points between what He's saying and what needs to be. Faith is taking steps that demonstrate what he has said is true. I mean, we don't see how it's true, but we believe it's true. That's why the world thinks we're crazy a lot of times. That's why the world says, you know, y'all are idiots. Y'all are crazy. You, you don't know what you're doing when we're taking these steps of faith and, and God has led us to do this. And we don't, we don't know what we're doing either except trusting God with it and he's leading us in that direction and God begins to place things and show us how each and every part begins to fit neatly together like a puzzle Esther realizes now that her reason for being selected as queen involved more than a beauty it involved being there uh, for character development through this mission of hers saving her people she was learning that God orchestrated each movement. That leads us to the second point. That's why timing is so important. Timing can mean everything. Three times Esther has been asked by the king why, you know, what her petition might be. And uh, the timing of this should not be overlooked or it shouldn't be downplayed. God intended for a number of things to happen to set the stage for Esther's request that she is about to make. Just think, if Esther had impulsively jumped ahead of God lead, uh, and his leading and, and, and asked the king for deliverance of her people, just think what might have occurred. Timing is everything. Timing matters to God. And if we intend to progress in the, the mission that, that God intends for us, then timing is very important. God not only wants us to do what is right, but when it is right. And that's not always easy, people. It's not, at least in my life, it hasn't been. Uh, making certain steps, uh, uh, going certain places, doing certain things, making sure this is when God wants it. But we must pray and we must step out in faith, believing God wants us to do this. 
or He wouldn't have placed it in our hearts and our souls. God was arranging things and the intermission that occurred between dinner one and dinner two allowed those things to be arranged in the right order. A lot of the things I mentioned to you later on in what had happened in this story. It allowed the right order for the plot to occur. Timing was the key. Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight. Now, boy, this is beautiful. Look at the wisdom that she uses in, in her wording and, and how she presents it. If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please a king, let my life be given me as my petition and as my people as my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Now, if we had only been sold as slaves, men and women, I would have remained silent, for the trouble would not be commensurate with or commensurate with the annoyance to the king. So the next point that we need to make is preparation and guidance, the importance there. It is a must. I have found if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me as my petition and my people as my request. Esther had time to prepare and pray and people praying for her for the right moment to share this request. She had people all over the kingdom praying. Her words were not hateful, nor did she blatantly state, out, uh, state something like, uh, look what uh, Haman has done to, to us. No, she paid attention to the king's royal position by seeking favor and by endeavoring in her request to please the king. She showed wisdom by using words sparingly. And this so, is so very important. As I, as I mentioned earlier, listen to the wisdom of her words. She said no more than was necessary. She appealed to the king's interest by stating that his wife and queen would be killed, destroyed, killed, and annihilated. Too often, we as Christians pray little, we speak abruptly, we say much, we act immediately, and we create a worse mess than we started with. Here we can learn a lot from Esther. She prayed, she fasted, she prepared, and she allowed God to lead her. Guidance. Esther did not rush into the king's presence with her request, but exercised a long forbearance and a gentle tongue. Proverbs 25, 15 says, By long forbearance a ruler is persuaded, and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. But she had to do something else. She needed to trust God and just do the work. Do what she needed to do. Share the petition that she had to share. Then King Ahasuerus asked Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he? Who would presume to do thus? And Esther said, A foe and an enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman became terrified before king, the king and queen. And the king arose in his anger from drinking wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed 
to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm had been determined against him by the king. Now when the king returned from the palace garden into the place where they were drinking wine, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, Will he even assault the queen with me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. In other words, they were taking him to the gallows. God can reverse things quickly. He did just that with Haman, Mordecai, and Esther, and the Jews. God had Haman, it was neat how God arranged all this. God had Haman stay inside. Where the, while the king went outside in his anger, before he cooled off a little bit, Although he was still angry, he came back in. And he came back in when? Right at the right moment that God wanted him to. And he assumed that he was trying to do something to the queen. And so, three things that we see here in in this. His plot to kill the Jews, which involved a direct threat on his wife, was one accusation. All he needed was two. The clear implication of physical contact with the queen. Him touching the couch looked like he was going after the queen. And then number three, the icing on the cake. When then Harbona, one of the eunuchs who were before the king, said, Behold indeed the gallows standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who is Mordecai? Who spoke good on behalf of the king. Look at what Haman is planning. He was going to have Mordecai, the man who you honored for saving your life, killed. Haman wanted him one of, to be uh, uh, hung on the gallows that he had built. This is one of your benefactors that he wanted to be ridded of. Which may, brings us to this last point. And that is, make sure that you don't look at God's work as coincidence. This all worked out because God determined it so. You know, we talk about luck. We talk about chances. We talk about, oh, well, that's just irony. Look at what happened, uh, you know, with uh, when it came to Haman and Mordecai. It was reversed. Well, we, we, if we're not careful, can uh, forget and, and, and not realize the God who is at work through all of this. And the king said, hang him on it. So they hang Haman on the gallows which he had prepared for Mordecai. And the king's anger subsided. We too often miss God at work. Because we look at it through human eyes. Through our senses. With our senses. And we don't see it spiritually. I want to share this story with you from, uh, from the book uh, Jesus Among Other Gods by Ravi Zacharias. Uh, he tells about traveling to India and why, when in the country he noticed uh, a father and his little boy weaving some of the most beautiful wedding garments uh, he had ever seen. And these garments were rich with color and design. And, uh, you know, the father would sit on this platform and about two feet above the sun surrounded by several pools of thread 
uh, and the son uh, would do just one thing. He had one thing to do, and that was the father would uh, commission him, nod, and, and when he nodded, the son would uh, move the shuttle from one side to the other, and then back again. And the father would gather some threads in his finger and then uh, once more move it again back and forth. And this would be repeated for uh, days until finally you'd see a magnificent pattern emerging. Now you didn't see this pattern at first. The son just moved the shuttle at the father's nod. The father had the design in his mind, though, and he knew exactly where it was and what it was. And he would bring the threads together to form this magnificent design, this beautiful design. That's the story of Esther, really, isn't it? That's the story of our lives. If we look through the proper lenses, we can see the design God has for each and every one of us in its making. Maybe not all of it, but in its making. His design began to reveal uh, to us uh, beautiful things in our life. We began to see, oh wow, it may be looking back on things, but we begin to say, man, I didn't see that. God begins to allow us to see this. And through our obedience, He works in time and, and He works at a certain pace. And he works in places, and he works with a direction for our life to form this beautiful, magnificent design for our lives. Just like with Esther, he's doing there. What an awesome God. What a God. How, what a privilege we have as believers to be a part of that. That wonderful plan. Who's always, uh, he's always in control who's loving, who, who's always caring, who's always working to bring about that good. Wow. We know all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank You for Your love and Your grace and thank You for what You're doing. And Lord, it's just wonderful to see how you work in Esther's life, Mordecai's life. Even lives of these that are lost, how you move them around to bring about your purpose in your timing the way you wanted it to, at your pace. Thank you, God. Help us to be more alert to this and be more attentive to this where we will be in tune with you doing what you would have us to do the best we can. And when we get off, off target and out of timing, help us to realize this and get back in for whatever reason that's caused it and caused us to get out from your will, away from uh, the timing that you have for our lives. Thank you, God. We love you. Help us through all of this, these crises that are coming about us now. Help us to uh, just be all that we need to be and glorify you through it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again, Brother Mike, for another wonderful message. Um, 
please be sure to uh, check us out on Facebook at Foresight's Baptist Church. Uh, you can also find any other information about us on our website, fhbcathens.org. Uh, please be sure to tune in again on Wednesday night. We'll be having uh, our weekly uh, prayer meeting and Bible study uh, through uh, Zoom web conference. So definitely be sure to check that out. Until then, I hope you all have a great week.